to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we get classy with some prestige horror and series survival returns. Plus, we pop our David Lynch cherries with Wild at Heart. It's time for a top three turf war. Horror has certainly become an elevated art form in the past five to ten years with people like Jordan Peele and Ari Aster at the helm of these epic, amazing prestige films. And The Conjuring sort of lives in that critically acclaimed horror franchise area. It sure does. I I think that The Conjuring kind of helped to usher in this sort of like era of prestige horror where suddenly you had good actors, you know, giving good performances that are grounded. Um, I I think The Conjuring is absolutely part of this kind of world. I I love it. I I never thought about it that way. Maybe because, uh, you know, James Wan is such a versatile director. Obviously, He also elevated Saw when Saw came out as a director. The guy's awesome. But you had an idea for doing our top three prestige horror. Now, this means a a movie that was critically acclaimed, award-winning. People respect the filmmaking. That's exactly it. Like every week, I'm sure I went off script or off. Uh, what you are doing. I did not want to include real life thriller, serial killer type people in my list. So I just want a disclaimer. Uh, you're not going to see Silence of the Lambs. I saw the devil raising Kane, Psycho or Black Swan on my list because Those are, uh, there's nothing really like fantastical horror uh, about it or spooky, spooky, you know, yes, people are spooky, but, um, you know, you're not going to see those on my list because there's not an element of the fantastic. Uh, That includes The Invisible Man from 2020 because it's a tech suit. It's, you know, it's a... That's true. It's It's technology. It's more like science fiction. Yeah, it's more science fiction. So... Uh, so I went a little off book there with my three. Ivana, how did you come about picking your three? So I let the critics and the respect and the filmmaking guide me. So uh, I absolutely did not close the door to serial killers. Gr- grounded in humans is allowed in my list. Um, I, I really went deep on like, what do I think are the most respected horrors? And I think like, what are going to be the ones that we're going to still be talking about a hundred years from now? That's a great way to pick too. Why don't you, uh, kick us off? You know, why don't I kick us off? Yes, let's do it. Before we begin, I have a disclaimer. Um, so I don't, I usually, I normally record with a sound shield. I don't have that. I'm at the cottage. Uh, and, and, but I'm in a room with a lot of sheets. So I'm hoping that it's going to sound okay. But uh, maybe this is going to sound horrible. So I'm really sorry 
to our listeners. Hey, maybe it's also soft wood pine around you and it's going to soak up that goodness. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to kick us off, I think, with my number three this time around. My number three film, Prestige Horror, is It Follows. Good one. You know, It Follows has fantastic reviews. The filmmaking is superb. You know, I was recently on a clubhouse room talking about this movie. Generally speaking, you're totally right. It's like a very good prestige horror. There's something in It Follows that they you take responsibility and then after it's done, there's no responsibility. It's like, There is now a monster coming after you, but hey, better you than me. Peace out. Uh, And I I don't know. It's just an interesting film. I really enjoy all of the young actors in it. I love the monster. The monster scares the hell out of me. You are the only one who can see the monster because you are the only one who engaged in sexual activity. Like it's, it's it's like the forbidden fruit. You had it and now you can see the world as it is. And no one else can. So I heard a really interesting take about its follows on Clubhouse. So, you know, shout out to Clubhouse. But um, it was that this film was actually like an analogy for sex as an adult versus sex as a like as a child, like the passing from childhood to adulthood and like the sudden bearing of responsibility. And I thought that was like a very interesting take because you can like it it does fit with the film in a very fun and and kind of interesting way. You know what? I think I might have been in the same room where we were talking about how trauma follows you. And it's a film about trauma when you least expect it. You're trying to deal with it. You're trying to come to grips with your your grief. And then it just appears and it's there to kill you. And uh, I th- also thought that was a really interesting thing. So apparently there's a lot of great things going on on Clubhouse that people are like dialing into. Either way, fantastic selection. I'm so happy to hear that it's on your list. It's a great film. Are you ready for? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for your number three. My number three You already said it. It was one of the ones you mentioned, and it is Silence of the Lambs. It's amazing. It's fantastic. I knew it would be on your list. Maybe that's another reason. Like, I knew there would be certain ones that we'd have in common. I was like, what if I take this out of the equation and I make it all fantastical horror? Uh, What would that look like? So Silence of the Lambs, why is it on your list? Look, I only saw the film for the first time in the last five, six years. And I have to admit, I don't think it's a horror film at all, but everyone else does. And I do agree that Hannibal Lecter is that horrific of like a serial killer. And so I think that what they built in this movie that I don't even classify as a horror film, which has somehow been swept up as the prototype of prestige horror, I think is so interesting and it 100% deserves to be on a top three. You know what's interesting? And I thought I didn't know if I would mention this. Looking up some of these uh, these prestigious horrors, I was curious how many horror films have been nominated 
in the history of horror for best picture and categorized as horror. Silence of the Lambs is number six or is like not the number six, but it's, it's six in total and Silence of the Lambs is one of them. It also includes Jaws on that list and Black yeah. Swan, which I, I guess you could, it, it's got horror elements. Yeah, I, I, it's not even on my honorable mentions because I didn't consider Black Swan a horror. I don't consider Jaws a horror either. Jaws to me is like an adventure film with scary moments. That's like saying Jurassic Park is a horror movie. It doesn't feel like a horror to me. I, I get it with Jaws. Not Jurassic Park, though. <laughs> so, Silence of the Lambs, I love that it's your pick. Uh, you don't think it's horror, but it's on your prestige horror list because the rest it of the sure world is. thinks it is. Look at that. Look at us conforming to what the rest of the world thinks. <laughs> Look, it's the like it's definitely deserves to be on this list. And so the fact that you didn't have it on yours, I'm even happier and doubling down. Well, my number two is a best picture nominated horror film for the ages considered a classic and it will be a classic probably till the day we die. And that is arguably the scariest movie of all time. In The Exorcist. That was, that was a Best Picture nominee? Yeah. Yeah. Best Picture nominee. Yeah. I, I'm, I knew it was going to be on your list. I'm so happy. You're 100% right. Like, The Exorcist is forever respected, forever considered the scariest. And um, it's, it's great. It's a great film. William Friedkin just totally rips the... Uh, the story from the pages of the book and it is such a visual I want to say atrocity because of what it did to so many people back then but it's hard not to fall in love with this as as a horror lover it's really difficult not to sit there and just be glossed over with fear and terrifying imagery and really, really creepy dialogue coming from Reagan. I I think that I think that William Friedkin's this might be my favorite William Friedkin film. I I definitely really respect Sorcerer. I like the French Connection a lot. Uh, I need to watch it again. But this, to me, I think is my favorite of all of his films. Well. What about you? Great number choice. two. Great choice. All right. Now, my number two, I think, is equally a classic. Uh, and that is Psycho, the Hitchcock classic, which uh, I think is also one of the biggest sort of first horror films that were was really taken seriously as, as a film and, and as something that is really very good. Oh my gosh, yes. Psycho absolutely needs to be on your list. It's great because I'm going with like the really spooky supernatural side of things and you're going straight to serial killers. So like our list totally even out. This is, That's it's it. not like That's I planned it. this, but I kind of planned this. <laughs> Hitchcock right, Psycho is one? fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. We've it's It's a beautiful film. I think we've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast, but... Psycho is something that I only watched recently. 
um, in the last three years recently, and I couldn't believe how amazing, how well-paced, how relevant, how scary, just how am- awesome Psycho is. Oh, man. I haven't seen that, that movie in years, and uh, you're making me feel very, very nostalgic for it. All right. All right. What, what's your number one? What's your number one pick? So my number one is very likely your number one, and that is Jordan Peele's Get Out. Yep. Woohoo! We did it. It's the same. <laughs> <laughs> How could it not be Get Out? Like, this is... And yes, you could say like, well, that's sort of science fiction. But you know what? A fantastical no thing happens when a soul enters another body. Like, period. I com- it's I, I completely agree with you. The sunken place is fantastical no matter how you put it. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's why Get Out is my number one. Jordan Peele is... What is he again, Ivana? Uh, he's a modern day Shakespeare. There you go. He's and- a modern day Shakespeare. According Honestly, to like, Ivana, every time we bring him up. Every time we bring him up because he deserves this accolade. I just really feel strongly. Look, Us was number two on my list and it's my number one honorable mention. And it's only not on the list because while I think Us is richer in a, in a lot of ways, nothing is more accessible than Jordan Peele's Get Out. I think this is the most accessible horror film of all time. If you don't like horror, you're still going to like this movie. It's got something in it for you. I don't think there's a single person who could possibly dislike this film. I, I do not even understand it. Absolutely. And it's so relevant and timely. And it tells a story that everybody should see. Everybody needs to watch. Everybody needs to understand where your inherent bias comes from. Um, And I think that this crazy story about race helps to identify that within ourselves. And it's an incredible film. I do want to mention us. I don't know if you know this, Ivana, but Rotten Tomatoes has a top 100 horror movies list. I, I actually consulted that list. The number one film on that list is us. I know I saw that. I think it's a it's it's such like a there's so many layers like just the imagery alone. You know, you can unpack that movie for hours. I remember Blake and I saw it in a movie theater when we came home because in Pittsburgh, like that place is overrun with bunnies, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but there are bunnies everywhere. And there were three rabbits literally right outside like our front door. And I was like, this is a sign. It's a bad omen. (laughs) But don't you think it's crazy that Rotten Tomatoes has a top 100 horror movies of all time list. And number one is Us. And number two is Get Out. And number three is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Like... That is an insane top three and for a modern day director to hold the number one and two spot over the entire history of horror films. I I think he deserves it. I think Get Out is slightly like better or deserves the number one spot more than us. But both are fantastic films and like he deserves to hold number one and two. Look, you know. I, I don't know how many times I can be a broken record 
<laughs> but Jordan Peele is a genius. I have been watching old episodes of Key and Peele. It's on Crave here in Canada. And I I have been I, I've been enjoying the hell out of it, if I'm being honest. Oh, my God. One of the best sketch comedy shows of all time. His comedic timing is outstanding. Uh, along with Keegan, it's really fun. With that tangent over and done with, we do have a top three to count down, Ivana. So why don't we start and kick... Oh, wait. No, we haven't... Oh. <laughs> uh, we haven't decided where anything's going to go. We have not. Well, we know our number one spot... 100%. ...is number one. Get Out. That's 100%. So now two and three. All right. Well, um, well, both of yours are on my honorable mention. Is The Exorcist or It Follows on your honorable mention list? The Exorcist is. Um, I, I, I think that maybe the best list would be Get Out, Psycho, The Exorcist. That's good because that's our list. And we aren't conforming that Silence of the Lambs is truly a horror movie with that list. Exactly. Exactly. And and I feel like also Get Out is literally like a a genre breaking like explosion into horror film. Like it, I've never seen straight horror have that much like comedy in it, but still have it be a straight horror. It's brilliant. Then you have Psycho, I think, which deserves the number two position because it was really the first prestige horror, I think. And and then The Exorcist, which like no one has ever done a better religious horror. And then we have like, you know, body snatching, fantastical element stuff kind of happening with Get Out, you know, realistic psycho stuff with Psycho and then... um. This sort of uh, like like religious demon horror with the exorcist. I think it works. And I think we are going to count this down. Number three, the exorcist. Number two, psycho. And the number one prestigious horror film is. Get, Get out. out. Boom. All right, so I have four movies on my honorable mention. Uh, what about you? Uh, I have five. Well, why don't we start with you then? Because I started the list. All right, I guess technically six. So I have Us, Saw and the Conjuring, Midsommar, The Exorcist, and Jaws. Jaws. So yeah, so you do put Jaws up there as like a horror film. A hundred percent, yeah. Okay. Uh, so we had some crossover. I have us. I have Midsommar. Um, I got to give it up to Frankenstein for kicking this whole horror thing off back in the 30s. Not to mention, I love that film. So Frankenstein's on my honorable mentions. And then Night of the Living Dead. I I don't know if it's prestige or when it came out it was prestige. But I feel like it's revered now and Night of the Living Dead should be on there. You know what? You're totally right. It is revered now. I don't think it was prestige, but I think it's it's become prestige. A hundred percent. And it's like landmark storytelling with incredible casting decisions that say a lot about the world, about the U.S., about uh, people in general. And I, I think for it to come out at the time it came out 
it's a very important film in the zeitgeist of the world. So I'm I'm so and hey, it's better than Army of the Dead. As a Pittsburgher, I haven't seen it. In fact, I have seen Army of the Dead, but not Night of the Living Dead. I need to see this movie. I need to fix this. I think you got to fix it. I mean, I I was talking to somebody on Twitter this week who just watched it. I'm like, you enjoyed it? He's like, I loved how I found out all of the tropes came from it. I'm like, yeah, you did. Yeah. (laughs) I hear that I missed something in your life about a tooth. And I'm very curious. Okay, so... Like, I've been very busy with work. It's been a crazy time. It's upfront season uh, when we're recording this. So, like, you know, TV is crazy world. But, yeah, my tooth, uh, I lost. I believe I lost. Unless I got, like, a crazy cavity. No, I don't think so. I lost a filling at some point in the last week. And I only realized that I lost a filling tonight during dinner when I was, like, Oh, my tooth is really bugging me. And then I stuck my tongue around there and I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, we have we have cell phones that are, you know, tiny now. Becky got up and like took a picture of my tooth. And sure enough, I'm pretty sure I had a filling there and it is gone. Wait, I don't I don't understand how you know that you lost it a week ago, but you discovered it only now. So I noticed that my tooth felt sharp over the week, but I didn't feel any like nerve problems or anything like that. I was just like, oh, that tooth feels sharper than normal. Maybe I chipped my tooth. Oh. And, but like looking in a mirror, I'm like, oh, no, like everything looks good. But tonight when I was eating dinner, uh, this side of my mouth, you can't see it at, at listening, but... You know, but Ivana, you could see it. This side of my mouth. The right side. The right side of your mouth. That's right. To me anyway. Yeah. It, it it just started like I was hitting a nerve and it was really sensitive with food. And I was like, wow, it didn't do that over the course of the week. It didn't do that at lunchtime today. What is up? And yeah, sure enough, one of my tooths has like a hole, like a, a large hole in it. Uh, oh where God, I believe please, there was a filling before. Please tell me you have an emergency dental appointment set up for tomorrow. I uh, I called the dentist and uh, left a message because it was after office hours. And I said, hey, I need to like, you know, I need emergency stuff. dental surgery immediately. Not surgery, but, you know, I need uh, you to shove me full of stuff. So <laughs> hopefully yeah. I hear back tomorrow. Is that now? Hold on a second. Because my mouth doesn't hurt. Uh. Is that, is it a dental emergency? What constitutes a dental emergency if your tooth has not like come out of your mouth? <laughs> um, I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I think, I feel like I would want to get that taken care of because the, so here's the thing. The part of your tooth that's the most strong is the enamel. But when you fill a cavity, you like, drill past the enamel into the inside and scoops them out and to get the cavity stuff out right right and then you kind of fill it up and it's strung again so here the problem i i see is that you have no enamel guarding that tooth anymore right like wherever the drill part is so until you get a new ca- like cavity put in there it's like super exposed to 
potentially becoming a new cavity. And so I feel like maybe it's not like emergency, like Saturday, Sunday, um, like that kind of thing. But but I think it's one of those things where you would want to be in the office no later than Monday. There you go. I, I really do hope I hear back. But I, it was interesting because I normally would not call after hours to a dentist. <laughs> so I got the voicemail and the voicemail was like, we are open. But if this is an emergency, uh, you know, call this number. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. Like you may be I right. Like so. immediately after dinner, obviously I brush my teeth. Uh, and I will continue to like after every meal, because like you said, there is exposure, but I was like, I don't, I don't necessarily know. Like, what constitutes an emergency? The tooth is still there. I, I don't think it's like the emergency line level of emergency. Like I, I don't think it's that bad. Like I, I would think if your tooth hurts so bad that the rest of your face is in pain, that's an emergency. Yeah. Or like, have you ever had any friends who've gotten um, tooth infections from their wisdom teeth? No. No. That sounds awful. It is. Horrible, just horrible. So like that's an emergency. That would be an emergency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's like bacteria in there, totally, I totally agree. There's like bad news bears happening in there. But uh, but yeah, I'll just, you know, hopefully I hear back tomorrow. They'll set me up with a very quick appointment and Bob's your uncle. I'll pay a shit ton of money to uh, have this filled. It's okay. It's worth it. Your tooth will be protected again. Series survival. Dun, dun, dun. Finally, we are back with brand new shows, brand new trailers in the show notes, and we are going to predict whether a second season is in store for these new series. I'm so excited. We had to abandon our last one. Like, we had made some predictions and then there was COVID and, you know, everything changed. So it, it wasn't really fair to even follow up. Which means that I am still the king of series survival at this point. Actually, it's 1-1. So we are technically tied. I won more recently. So I am more, more royal. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that. So we've got three shows, right? Lined up. We sure do. All right. First up is a comedy series on CBS titled Ghosts. And again, the link to the, the trailer is in our show notes, so you can check it out. What did you think of this? Do you Would you watch the show? And do you think that it's going to get a second season? Okay, straight up, I'm going to watch this show. It looks great. It's basically it about these, so good. these two people who are inherited a mansion. And they're going to turn it into a bed and breakfast or a hotel. And they show up to this mansion and there are a ton of ghosts living there. And they range from like the 2010s all the way back to the Vikings. And for some reason, all of these ghosts are there. And it's sort of like Beetlejuice. They don't want it to become a hotel. So they're going to try and haunt the <laughs> the living to scare them out of building a hotel. Oh my gosh, the haunting is so good because basically 
each of these ghosts has their own power, right? But like the powers are like common haunting things. So one of them is able to make lights flicker and and another one is able to like, you know, almost touch real stuff so they he can like slowly put, shove it into a rocking position and then it'll fall on the ground. That's right. So uh, so the kicker of the trailer is that one of the the alive people, one of the people who has inherited the mansion slips into a coma and now can see that there are ghosts everywhere, which I think adds an even more fun dynamic to this ridiculous premise. I I am all on board for this show. I completely agree. Uh, the leads are very funny. The girl, I believe, is the girl from iZombie. So... The big thing that you asked, will this get a second season? I don't think so. I am going with no. I'm definitely going to watch it, but I don't think anyone else will. Unfortunately, I totally agree with you. I cannot wait to watch the show, but I also cannot say that it has a chance in hell at getting a renewal. <laughs> Not in this TV landscape. This is way too quirky for those boomers. It really feels like something special and, and new and different. And that's going to be too different on network TV. So I don't think it's, it has a chance. The second show on our list is The Big Leap. This is a new show coming to Fox. It looks like it's kind of got a musical vibe, but also uh, a dance vibe. And uh, what did you think of this trailer, Ivana? You know, it, it it ticks a lot of boxes. You know, it's it's a melodrama, like evening soap type of thing, which occasionally does really well for Fox. It blends in the element of going behind the scenes on a popular like reality TV show. And and let's be honest, the one that did that for Bachelor, I'm now forgetting the name. Do you remember? Unreal. Unreal. Which which Unreal. was a little racier than Fox. A little racier than Fox. Um, but you know, that show was did pretty well. And I think this is playing in that space. That and Let's be honest, like American Idol talent show type contest shows, they're they're big bread winners. So this just feels like, you know, an executive could have created this pitch. Like, you know, you're just ticking a lot of boxes. You've got evening soapish melodramas that seems like kind of fun, um, but not out of the box, which does well for Fox. And you marry that with reality tv talent show and i just don't see how you can fail so i'm gonna go with yes a renewal and uh probably no i'm not gonna watch it so this was definitely my favorite of the three trailers for the shows that we watched i got a little misty eyed i uh i really got sucked into the reality world that is is going on where they're like that's our crazy person. That's the person that's going to dance great. And she has a great story. And it feels sort of like America's Got Talent producers behind the scenes. Um, so I, I definitely feel a little bit like it, um, 
it may capture an audience. What I don't think it has the staying power for is a second season. So I am going to say no, even though it could capture everyone. I'm saying no to the big leap on Fox. I definitely don't think this show has a chance of lasting more than three seasons. And that's its max, probably an end on season two. But I I think it's going to get renewed because these types of shows do pretty okay on Fox. It could very well end up being the next Glee, but we have seen shows that have kind of tried that and haven't got too far. So I'm going to, I'm going to hedge my bets, say no. And this is our first of the year. That is a discrepancy. This is where, this is where the winners and the losers happen, folks. (laughs) All right. The third show is a streaming one uh, and it is Disney plus the mysterious Benedict Society, and boy, this is high quality prestige. Like it's beautiful. I just want to say, Jay, do you think that it's going to get a season two? Absolutely. the uh, The content wheel at the Big Mouse has to keep going, and uh, they it's based on a book series. So why the hell not? Just keep making this cheap ass. I mean, it looks beautiful, but you know they're not paying anybody anything on this show except Tom Hale. So this show is definitely going to get a season two. They've got more material in the bank. Uh, They've got to give these tweens something. And if all of their original content movies can get sequels here and there based on Disney Plus numbers, I think the mysterious Benedict Society about a couple of... uh, I, I guess it's a ragtag team of misfits who have to go and save the world. Sure. Why not? As only children can. <laughs> what about you? Uh, yeah, 110%. This is the inaugural sort of like season of Disney Plus, And I don't think that they're going to cancel anything yet. You know, like most of the streaming platforms when you go out on that big bang, you always want to follow up with the appearance of making, having made smart decisions. So things automatically get second seasons. And I think this is one of those. And as you said, with Disney plus, it doesn't feel like there's even like a gamble, like, you know, on some level, I don't even understand how they always seem to knock it out of the park because I find that the heart is getting taken out of some, not all, but some of these projects. I have to say, like, the interesting thing to me about Disney Plus and the shows that are on Disney Plus that are not like Star Wars or Marvel is just how who's watching them like you never hear people talking about them but high school musical the musical the series got a second season i'm pretty sure the mighty ducks game changes is getting a second season the only person i know who is watching these shows ivana it's me i'm the only one but yet they keep giving us more. It's because kids, kids watch this shit over and over and over. What is like the number one show of all time on Netflix? Coco Melon, that baby show. I don't have a baby. I don't know what Coco Melon is, but I bet it's great. I bet it's not great. 
but it's for kids and kids eat that shit up and watch it over and over and over. <laughs> you know what? There is a teen drama currently on Disney plus that I just, I'm curious if you're watching it is uh, starring John Stamos as a basketball coach for a girls high school basketball team. It's called the big shot. Oh, I didn't think it had come out yet already. So no, not watching it, but I did want to give it a shot. I'm all caught up. I'm, I'm all the way to episode seven. Do not take that to mean that this is a good show. I don't think this is a good show, but I can't turn it off for some reason. And <laughs> Oh, I love those. I love those bad somehow addictive comedies all right you've sold me it's happening and that is our first round of series survival in the books what do you think about these shows uh do you think they're gonna get a second season or are they dunsville and also who are you rooting for in the series survival death match that is ivana versus jay team ivana it's film freaks chatter for the film fan and all of us as you know I have been on a real Nicolas Cage kick this year, and I thought that we could dive into some things with him. And you found it all right. Uh, actually, our clubhouse friend Joe kind of got us thinking about watching a David Lynch film, which I have been avoiding my entire life. And it turns out that he did one with Nicolas Cage. Yep, he sure did. And this is my first Lynch film too. And this one is a story about Sailor, played by Nick Cage, and Lula, played by Laura Dern, as they run away from the world and their problems. Lula's problem is her mother hates Sailor, and Sailor's problem is he wants to stay authentic and alive. Oh, did we mention Lula's mother Marietta put a hit out on him? Yep. As the pair drive across the country listening to music, philosophizing, fighting, dancing, singing, and boy, sexing it up. Trouble is always right behind them. See, Sailor was in the wrong place at the wrong time and might have witnessed the murder of Lula's dad at the hands of Santos, the bad dude that Marietta hired to do the dirty deeds. But Sailor didn't actually see anything. But it doesn't matter because the hit is on and Willem Dafoe is gonna kill Sailor during an attempted bank heist. But not before trying to sexually assault Lula in her motel room. And it's really like quite a shocking scene. Truly shocking. But because Lula reveals she's pregnant, Sailor goes on the heist with Willem and lo and behold... He's captured by the cops, but Defoe doesn't go down that way. He shoots his head off with a shotgun instead of dealing with damn nasty coppers. After a six-year stint in prison, it's time for Lula and Sailor to be reunited. And after a moment to reflect that maybe his kid and Lula would do better without him, Sailor goes back and sings her Love Me Tender in a traffic jam. So, Jay, what are your thoughts on this movie overall? So, I don't know. I mean, I don't. It's kind of like this film showed me some things. And I was like, okay, you're showing them to me in an interesting and unique way. I'm receptive. But I'm also like, 
I'm mad at it for showing me things. Does that make sense? I feel like that, like you're experiencing David Lynch on exactly the level that he is meant to be experienced. I, I feel like, so this is my first David Lynch film. This is your first David Lynch film. Yes. He's like a prolific, prolific director, a, a huge name, you know, an artiste that inspires a lot of critical acclaim. Um, but he's also known as being really divisive, right? Like you hear about people who think that he's literally the one of the most brilliant geniuses of all time and other people who are saying, no, he's just a silly man and this is like saying a toddler can make art. Um, I, I genuinely and- felt like I was watching somewhat of a cartoon and and I kept thinking is Lynch a cartoonist like is he there behind the scenes being like no bigger like I need it to be bigger wait a minute no that's too small right there like really bigger it's everything (laughs) and I was like oh my god this is like watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon (laughs) It is there the there the cartoon thing I think is a hundred percent something he's striving to do in this movie and and it comes across. So what did you think of the film overall? Like, I genuinely walked. I haven't stopped thinking about the movie, so I think that's like a point towards goodness. Um, but I'm also mad at the movie for like the audacity of the movie. And, but I also am like, Hey, show me another crystal ball scene and a, and a fairy like flying in the air. I'm okay with that. Go ahead. So the surrealism is accepted. I'm accepting it, but I'm also like mad that everyone is an alien in this film because no one is normal. Uh, so anyway, back to you. Like, what did you feel about this film? Well, I felt a lot of the same emotions. Like, I, I think this is... I, for, first off, I think I'm becoming a David Lynch fan as the weeks go by. I haven't yet seen another movie of his. I haven't decided what my second one is going to be, but it's going to be this weekend. And uh, I felt a lot of different things. I First of all, I was mesmerized by this film. Like... I I watched it and I didn't want to look away from it and I I didn't think it was boring for a second and and I I just was half the time was just like experiencing the scenes I don't know how else to describe it you don't watch you just kind of experience them like like when Nicolas Cage almost gets into a fight with the guy and then he starts singing the um Elvis song but it's not love me tender like that's a that's a scene you experience you don't really just watch like, it cuz like it's- and and that's that's a great I wanted to bring up that scene because one Nicolas Cage is full blown madness at the beginning of this movie at the very beginning of this movie he kills a guy and the way he kills that guy and what is happening oh. throughout the scene is just crazy 
Uh, also, uh, FYI, I read like a, a recent take on that and just like the extreme violence with which he kills him and the fact that he's a black man and the fact that like uh, nobody really like reacts like that there was like a big indictment of what that means, you know, allegorically to U.S. history, which I was like, wow. I mean, I, I don't think that was probably there when they made the film, but really cool lens to look, see it through. Yeah, it was uh, it was something else. like that's a crazy way to start your movie. But also Nicolas Cage instantly is likable in the next scene when he's talking about his snakeskin jacket and how it brings him authenticity and individuality. Like that is remarkably bizarre, but I'm rooting for him. And then he beats up a guy on a dance floor after like real sexing it up with Laura Dern. Like you have to understand that he is going to sex up Laura Dern a lot in this movie. I like, like more than the movie needs for sure. But I disagree. I disagree. The perfect amount of sexing. I never felt like any of the sex scenes were gratuitous or hung on a body in a salacious gaze. Like I didn't I didn't think that the sex scenes had the male gaze. Like I don't know how else to say it that way, but that's she's embraced her sexuality. Lula is a a creature of her sexuality and it's not in a bad way at all. Um yeah. but she also has yeah, and no she's, agency. She's respected. And that is that drove me crazy through the film. Especially with all these flashbacks kind of telling us all this horrible shit that happened to her, but she's still just kind of going along instead of taking that control back for somebody who is so well aware of, of who she is with Nicolas Cage. I almost am like rooting against Nicolas Cage because I want Lula to be her own person and not just go along with everything. I never felt as though she was really just going along with Nicolas Cage because I think he was freedom to her. You know, like I think what she wanted was to go on a crazy ride and the best person to give that to her was him. I I think that it was her agency of choosing him in the first place. Like I never felt like she didn't have agency or wasn't going along. In fact, I felt like she was a, a really empowering kind of character because she makes a lot of decisions for herself in quiet and interesting ways. She respects and enjoys her own sexuality in a way that is for herself and not for anyone else. Um, she chooses a partner who loves and respects her. Like let's, like he's great to her. Like Nicolas Cage to Lula is is great. He's kind. He opens up. He cares about her. Um, he keeps. He's really violent and keeps killing people and does a lot of stupid shit. But <laughs> that's what she wants because she's like asserting her independence from her mom. Um, 
So, I, yeah, I, I never thought that she didn't have agency. She also is the first person to not want to keep the kid. But then when Nick Cage goes to jail, decides to keep the kid, you know, almost as a way to stay connected to him. And and I feel like that also is her making a choice because, you know, her mom would have been begging her to get rid of that baby. She's very clearly on the ride because she loves Nicolas Cage. But she's also, she also has to put up with Nicolas Cage when he's, when she's sick, when she's having it, or Nicolas Cage has to somewhat put up with her when she's sick, when she is, uh, you know, freaking out after what happened at the side of the road with that strange accident. And Nicolas Cage is not like, I, I agree. I think Nicolas Cage loves her. And is in love with her, but also doesn't really show a lot of that when when Lula is down or when Lula isn't being that that person. Uh, He also sort of is like, man, like I have to listen to you a lot. You have the craziest thoughts and the craziest stories and nobody else would think like this. Uh, But I still think I always thought that that was a compliment. I thought that was him like complimenting her got, that he loved i got the impression that he was like oh my god like like you can be a lot um but maybe that's just my well, i i interpreted it totally the opposite i i he had glee uh in his in his voice i think he was definitely to me, I interpreted that, that he loves her crazy brain, but, you know, but then we get the most shocking moment in the film where, you know, she does stick up for herself at first with Willem Dafoe and then Willem Dafoe threatens her and she's afraid and then she gives in. And I don't, I don't know if that is a decision that she makes because Willem Dafoe has now turned her on. Or if she's trying to survive, it's shocking. Like, it's a shocking moment in the film. I think I, I, I interpreted that scene really clearly. Well, to me, it felt clear. It felt like um, she did it to survive, but then also found herself turned on. And that made it more horrific and traumatizing. It was uh, it was shocking. Like, that that moment was shocking to me. And, and, and I, I wanted her so badly to tell Nicolas Cage because he wouldn't have gone on that heist with him. He'd probably kill him, but wouldn't have gone on the heist. Yeah. I can. No, I think he would have gone on the heist to kill him, but, but then it would have, he would have been fine. There wouldn't have been cops and, and all that stuff. Oh God. It was just like this shocking moment in the film that. I don't I, I don't know. I don't know what to think of that. That that was another piece of the thing that I was like, I kind of want this to be Laura Dern's movie more than I want it to be Nicolas Cage movie. And it is their film. And it's it's but I don't like root for them at the end. I'm not involved what? in this relationship. I don't think you like, didn't find it like a really like lovely relationship in its own weird way like it it is i totally agree but i'm never rooting for it like i'm never on board i never like want them to get back together at the end like i mean i do for the sake of the film but not because 
I'm invested in their love story. No. Oh my God. Like when he, when he leaves her and they kind of like follow that tangent and then, and then for some reason he goes and gets in a street fight at like a really intense one for I, why? And then he goes back and like changes his mind and is like, you know, I love you and I want to be with you. I, I was so, I, I loved it. I was rooting for them so hard when, when he left her, I was like, are you kidding me? You went to jail for six years and now you're going to walk away from this shit. Not cool, buddy. Not cool. And yeah, I, I what, but what was up with that street fight at the end? Cause I did not get that fight. Why did that exist? Why is it? Why is that in the movie? There is so much. Why is this in the movie? Why is there the side of the road? Why is there the second? Oh, the side of the road, the I get. Why is there the second accident on the side of the road that she has to keep her son away from? Why? There's a million whys. Why is the the New Orleans woman there to kill Harry Dean Stanton, but not there? For Nicolas Cage at the end because it's Willem Dafoe. The movie has a lot of whys. Fair, 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 fair point. Okay, can we talk about things that we didn't like in the movie? You know what I didn't like in the movie? Any scene with Diane Ladd, period. I want you to know that Diane Ladd was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this film. I don't get it. I that That is the one thing about this movie that I like, I honestly, I, I wa- screamed at my computer screen as I watched it. I screamed at my screen. I was like, why? Why am I looking at a woman who has painted her whole face with lipstick? Why? Why? It's just how she do. It's just how she do. Did you know that she like apparently liked to improvise? So, uh... Almost this entire performance is her own improvised performance. That's her bringing her actressing to the table. And that those are her choices that she made. I, I What I really don't like about Marietta is how it's handled with little more than the poof vanishing from her life in a picture frame at the end of the film. I like that Laura Dern stands up to her mother on the phone. And is like, yo, you can piss off. But no repercussions really come to Marietta except this understanding that she's gone now from Laura Dern's life because it poofed out of a, a picture frame. I would like we get we had to see Harry Dean Stanton, who is the loveliest, normal, non-alien person in this film, get snuffed out. Why does Marietta get a poof from a picture. Like I want red. I, you know, ah, and at the end of the film, we get love me tender for the whole song on like, he sings the whole song through the credits, but he said he'd only do that if they were married and they're not married. I don't know. Like it's no, they are. That means they're married. That means that like, he committed. It's like a metaphorical wedding. We're literally watching a wedding at the end of this movie. I, I get it. I understand that. But it's also like, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's so crazy. Like Nicholas Cage has this bulging freaking beat up nose 
singing Love Me Tender. I, uh, I The choice of that last fight, it brought literally nothing to this film. It was like another like weird... Because this is like a film with quite a bit of, of violence, most of which feels like while cartoonish, uh, grounded in the story. But that particular fight, I was like, where did this come from and why? Like he walks down a street, he gets on in a fight with random men and then and then goes back and gets back together with Laura Dern. And like while I kind of appreciate that weird like tangent only because the original novel, they break up at the end, right? Sure. I, oh, I have not read it. Oh, well, I mean, I... I haven't read it either, but I looked it up and, and the, and the actual novel that this is based off of, they break up at the end. So that first breakup in the car, um, I think that's like closer to what happens in the novel, but then David Lynch, Lynch made a lot of decisions that were different. Like here's the thing that I've learned. Okay. It is style over substance for sure. Uh, Every frame is calculated and constructed and very interesting looking almost all the time. Um, It doesn't look like a world that I live in, but it looks interesting enough to, like you said, Ivana, hold my attention. Nothing in this film is subtle by any stretch from the actors to what is happening on screen to like, hey, Willem Dafoe's on there. Maybe he doesn't look strange enough. Let's give him baby teeth mouth. Like every yeah. single thing. Baby rotten teeth that baby are like teeth. the def- <laughs> Yeah. I don't understand it, but yeah, sure. Throw that in there. Make him look disgusting. Um He is but- I he is like captivating captivating. But oh, anything, oh like this is Willem Dafoe. Anything can happen. In this in this universe, and it's different enough that I I can't stop thinking about it. But I'm also like stepping back and going, "You're gross. Like your movie is also gross that it's here <laughs> in my space." So I'm not entirely certain that I am in yet on on Lynch. I'm certainly going to give him another shot with a couple other films. Uh, our mutual friend, Joe, uh, who, by the way, he's a, he's a very talented musician. You can go on Spotify or uh, wherever you get your music. It's it's Joe Bacha Jr. And you can actually like listen to some of his music. He's got a new album coming out June 25th. He did not pay me to say this. He is a friend. Wahoo! Uh, <laughs> June 25th. That's so soon. Yes. He's got a new album coming out. Um, it's immersive. Very cool. Like it's, it's a mood for sure. Uh, but he's a really great guy and yeah, go check it out. It's Joe, um, Baccia junior. And it's uh, B a B O C C I a junior. Um, and his first album came out and it's a lobster. So you'll see a little cartoon of a lobster and that's his first album. Anyway, with that said, he has told me I got to watch Mulholland drive and blue velvet and more. Uh, he also told me when I said that we were doing wild at heart, Ivana, that we are mad for starting with this one because this is PCP David Lynch craziness. This is not like 
The other ones are not this level of batshit crazy, apparently. But I told him we were doing it for the cage. Look, uh, I like batshit crazy films. The more we talk about this movie, the more I like it. I gave it an initial rating of four and a half. And this conversation alone is making me want to give it a four and a half. Partly because it makes you angry. Like that almost makes it like a 0.25% like more of a point for me. But I I just, I kind, I don't know if I 100% believe that it's style over substance with David Lynch. Because I went into a little bit of a, what is the significance of this film wormhole? And here's what I've, I've kind of, this is my thinking about David Lynch as a person who's only ever seen one film. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think based on how I'm reading that he works with actors and other people on his sets, that he's very big on like trusting artists to do their art and like getting swept up in the feeling of creating art. And the, that is how his films can become so bonkers in a way. Because like, even with D- Diane Ladd's performance, which as you said, got her an Oscar nomination. So even though I hated everything about this performance, other people on the planet all thought that she were great. She was great. And, and basically what he was saying is that as soon as he figured out she didn't want to stick to a script he figured out how to shoot her and they just started in a certain place and he let her like go wild and just like leaned into it. And and I feel like that's what his film, like that's the thing about his films is like he doesn't try too hard and he lets other people maybe have the power to do whatever it is they want to do. Like so if he comes across an actor who wants to just like ad lib these crazy scenes he's just gonna let her do it and and that's gonna be the art they create and I think that's the maybe the genius of him is like it might not make a perfect film but it elicits emotions in us and I'm really impressed by films that make me feel things I I do not take away genius from this film I see a lot of other filmmakers to come after seeing this kind of film and running with it. I can see Tarantino loving David Lynch. Like there's a lot of Tarantino after wild at heart comes out that sort of fits into this universe. hundred percent. I just want to say that like immediately upon on watching the film, I right away could not stop thinking about natural born killers, which is an homage to this film, which I never realized until now. Absolutely. Having watched this one. That film, I saw way too young, definitely, but like was one of those things that like really affected me. So it's so cool to see this. I, I feel like this film takes old road movies like like Bonnie and Clyde and those kinds of things and like turns it into something new and different and, and then like changes it into its own thing and then other films take it from there. Like, see, I I learned today, Joe told me today that this is supposed to be the Wizard of Oz for David Lynch. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, look, you can shove as many 
Wizard of Oz references at me as you humanly possibly want. In this film, they will. Like, random sporadic conversations about Toto will show up. I get it. You like Wizard of Oz. There's a lot of, like, but I don't think there's parallels. I think this is just, like, talking about Wizard of Oz. I, I'm not seeing any, like, scarecrow. Like, you could say that he's a scarecrow. She's Dorothy. They are home when they're together. I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. But the real, like, craziness of David Lynch to think that this is Wizard of Oz to him, like, that that's crazy. Wizard of Oz is David Lynch's favorite film. And this film has a lot of nods and throws and is, like, thematically kind of like a Wizard of Oz tale in that it's about a young girl who goes off on a journey in a fantasy land and comes back kind of changed in a woman. There's a lot of allegory. Like there's, you know, literally after she's sexually assaulted, isn't that when we have her clicking her heels to go back home? Yep, absolutely. Um, you, Willem Dafoe is such like a green witch. <laughs> like, um, and, but in some ways he's also, uh, but there, this isn't like parallel and, and David Lynch isn't trying to redo the story of Wizard of Oz. I think he's just, there's a bit of a love letter to the Wizard of Oz in this film. It's definitely a lot of references. And, you know, even after the accident or before the accident, I can't recall, you know, Lula looks out into the black of night and sees the Wicked Witch of the East, she says. Not of the West, but of the East flying in the in the sky. I was there for all of that. I don't know how you can give this four and a half stars. I, I am giving it three at this point. Maybe my mind will change. But I, I'm too on the fence with what I experienced to like go, this man is a genius at this point. But who knows? Maybe I will uh, watch some more stuff and I will I will pick up on what everybody else is putting down and I'll be able to speak highly of the man in a year or two. I'm definitely giving it a four, maybe a 4.5. I'm somewhere in there waffling much more than I feel like you'll be waffling forever because remember the movie we just watched. It is too hard (laughs) to be definitive about this film. Because it is just, like, crazy. Nick Cage is so good. And Laura Dern is so good. This is so such a good, well-cast film, except for Diane Ladd, who I just hated. (laughs) Can we, like, one more time, at one point in this film, they're on a dance floor. Some guy is trying to dance with Laura Dern, and she's not having it. So Nicolas Cage asks him to apologize, and when he doesn't, he beats him up on the floor. The whole time this is going on, he's asked the band to stop. <laughs> then he asks for the mic from the band. That is big dick energy if I have ever heard it. And I then just the man serenades some Elvis to his lady. This is great. Like it's, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying what I was there for and I was like, this is unique and strange and bizarre. And what are you trying to tell me, David Lynch? Is he a superhero? Is he a wizard? How does he get to do this? And then I'm like, hmm. but at the same time, I'm there for it. Fine. 
It's a weird movie. I think that's a good place to end it. What are we going to watch next week? Well, hey, man, like we already went down this trip. So like, why don't we just go for another David Lynch film and watch Mulholland Drive? Like it's supposed to be critics have said it's the greatest movie of all time. They love this film. Uh, Let's let's go from one of the weirdest to one of, I guess, the best. So Mulholland Drive, David Lynch next week. Woohoo, Joe. Thank you, Joe. (laughs) And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to tune in again next time. If you'd like to support the show, you can hop onto your podcast service and subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, why not score a quick rating or review? Our intro song comes from bensound.com and we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors and sound effects. Ivana and I love hearing from you, so we actually built this website, morethemovies.net. But in case you hate websites, we also have email, hello at morethemovies.net. Find us on Facebook, More Than Movies Podcast. Or catch us on Twitter, I'm at It's Ivana. I'm at Jester J. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We will be back in two weeks with an all new episode. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more.